All right. Well, uh, as I said earlier, if you, if you are new here, uh, my name is Justin. I'm one of the pastors here, and um, I'm actually taking a, a bit of a preaching break over the summer. And so Alan has been preaching quite a bit. Um, Alan is on vacation this week uh, as well as Evan. So that's where those two guys are down at the beach enjoying themselves down there. Uh, and so I uh, have uh, a couple of guys in the area that, that I'm friends with, getting to know more and more. And one of those guys is Sean Cross. And so Sean agreed to come in and, and preach this morning out of Galatians and just share God's word with us this morning. So I just want to say a quick thing about Sean. I'm going to pray for him and let him jump in the word with us this morning. Sean and his wife Melissa uh, came to this area a little while ago to begin the process of planting a church uh, in the D.C. area and in the district in particular. Uh, they hung out at Redeemer Church in Arlington for about a year, I guess, and did kind of a residency internship deal there, but recently have moved into the district and are beginning uh, this kind of startup stuff with Union Church, which is going to be in Northeast D.C. And so uh, Sean is a, is a good brother who uh, loves the Lord and loves his church. And so I'm excited uh, to have him preach this morning. But Sojourn also is, is supporting uh, this church as it gets off the ground financially and through prayer as well. Uh, so if you know people in Northeast D.C. that are looking for a church, then you can send them Sean's way to Union Church as they get off the ground kind of hanging out in his house right now, which is kind of packed with a group of people in a, in a house in D.C., as you know how that might go. So anyway, I want to pray over Sean this morning as we jump in, and I uh, hope you guys enjoy just hearing from him this morning as we jump into Galatians. Father, we give you thanks for Sean. We give you thanks for Melissa and their family. Uh, Lord, we thank you so much for bringing them here this morning just to share with us out of Galatians. We pray, Father, that as we open up your word, that you would just encourage us this morning, that you would challenge and convict us through your word as Sean preaches. And Father, I just thank you for Sean and Melissa and the call you have on their life to plant this church, to plant Union Church in D.C., that more people in Northeast D.C. might hear the gospel, uh, might believe the gospel and see their lives transformed and changed by the gospel, that they might then go out and share it with others. So Lord, we pray for this church to establish deep, deep roots in the district, uh, Lord, that we would see more churches planted out of that church. Uh, Lord, our desire is to be a, a church-planting church and to support church planters all over the D.C. area, all over the world, that more people might hear the gospel and, and be changed by it. And so we thank you that we have the privilege and opportunity to do that with Sean and Melissa and their family and this new church that's starting up. So Lord, we pray that you'd be honored and glorified by the good work that they're doing, supply everything they need to do it, and we just pray that you bless our time with Sean this morning as we jump into your word. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Thanks, brother. And thank you guys for having me. Thank you, Sojourn Church, for supporting Union Church and the work that we're doing. It's, it's really cool to be back in the area. I grew up like five minutes from here uh, in Fairfax, so I'm a Fairfax County kid. Um, <clears throat> and so it's kind of cool to be back home. We were in North Carolina for 13 years. It was, it was great, uh, but the Lord called us to plant in D.C. It's been, it's been a a very interesting, um, difficult uh, process, uh, at times lonely, and I say that because um, it makes me even more thankful for Acts 29 and for the, the brothers and sisters in Northern Virginia, D.C., Maryland, who are a part of that network, who have uh, poured into us and, and the friendships that we're beginning to see um, built and forged from it, like, like with 
with Justin. So I'm, I'm very thankful for you. I'm thankful that you're here, that the gospel is being proclaimed in my hometown, uh, and that that, that message is, is being advanced. And one of the things that <clears throat> I've, I've come to realize in this year and change that we've been back in this area and in D.C. and going from being sort of like support staff, youth pastor, utility pastor at a church in North Carolina to to planting in D.C. is that planting a church, being the church, being a church plant, um, that it's, it's, it's less church planting and more gospel planting. We're planting the gospel in our cities. We're planting the gospels in our neighborhoods and our, our jobs, and we're praying that the Lord would bring return on it. And so that's what we're trying to uh, grasp as a people in D.C., and I love that, um, well, first, I love that uh, being invited to a church and given a text to preach from, um, it's, it, it's, it's so much easier than having to figure out what to preach to a bunch of people you just don't know. So, so thank you for that. Um, <clears throat> I love it. I love that it's Galatians, right? I and mean, you've been in Galatians for a while now. So you know this, that in Galatians, Paul is contending. He's fighting for the gospel. He's fighting for the, the true, clear message of the gospel to be preserved in the hearts of the Galatians. And so as you look at this, as you look at Galatians, and then even as you travel through the book of Acts and you look at the early churches and all the church plants and churches that are days old, churches that are three years old, what you begin to see is that attacks on the gospel, more often than not, don't come from outside the church. They come from inside the church. And so what Paul is doing here is he is saying, slow up just a second and let's remember the gospel that I brought to you. Because in Galatia, there are attacks on the gospel that are coming from within the church. And Paul is very concerned. He's so concerned that in this text that we're looking at, he's going to say, I have fear that I labored over you, that I cast the seed of the gospel, that I worked and tilled the ground, that I prayed that the Lord would bring rain and soften soil and bring fruit, and I labored with and for you. I'm afraid that I did it for nothing. Because the very truth of the gospel is being abandoned within you. And it's not coming from outside. It's, it's coming from within your group, within the ecclesia, the gathering, the community of Christ. There are attacks on the gospel. And I am, I'm shocked, Paul says. I'm, I, I'm, I'm astounded. Right, like I don't know if you if you're into sports or, but it it, it makes me think of uh, Stephen A. Smith and just how he's like, I'm appalled. Like I I don't I don't even understand how so quickly you are abandoning the gospel. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at this text and we're going to see what the gospel is again. And, and if you've heard it for the last eight weeks, I don't care. You need to hear it again. I woke up this morning needing to hear it again. And then we're going to see why it is, that it, why it's so easy to lose it. 
why it's so easy to lose sight of it, right? When I was in seminary and kind of in, as, as, uh, as a young pastor, I heard this phrase that one generation believes the gospel, the next generation assumes the gospel, and then the next generation loses the gospel. But what I see in Galatians is that you don't need three generations. The gospel quickly becomes assumed and then changed and then lost. And we do it. We're in danger of it. So let's look at this text together. Let's pray that God, by the power of the Spirit, would have grace on us so that we understand what he's telling us. Let's believe it. And so we're in Galatians 4, verses 8 through 20. Formerly, When you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Brothers, I entreat you. Become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that, if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out, that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I am present with you, my little children, for who I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone. For I am perplexed about you. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we come to your word knowing that the only way that it will affect and change and bring life to us is if your Holy Spirit will come and illuminate our hearts and show us Jesus. So would you come? Would you be pleased in this time? May the words of my mouth, my lips, and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing to you, O God, our rock and our salvation. Amen. And so what Paul is doing here is he's saying we need to contend for the gospel. We need to remember the gospel. Really, this text is a warning, right? The warning is that if you do not remember the gospel that was preached to at first, you will fall away from it. You will leave it. My work, the work of the gospel that I did, will actually end up being in vain. And so what I, what I want us to ask are just three simple questions, really. Um, what is the gospel, Why is it that we can lose it? Or how is it that we lose it? What's, what's the danger here? 
And then ultimately, ultimately, how do we know we have it? How do we know we have it? So what is the gospel? Um, What's the danger? How do we... How do we begin to lose it? And then how, how do we rest assured and know that we have it? So first question, what is the gospel? We see that in, in what he says at first, because <clears throat> he says, formerly at one time you uh, did not know God and you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God, but now you've come to know God or, or rather to be known by God. See, in this is a very compact statement of the gospel. And it is this, that through Jesus Christ, God frees people from self-righteous acts of self-salvation. A lot of times we want to hear the word sin there. Jesus saves sinners from sin, and that's true, but at the heart of that sin, at the heart, at the bottom of all sin is what? It's, it's idolatry. It's believing that you know more about truth than God. Paul says it this way in Romans 1. He says, they exchange the truth of God for a lie. We say, God, you are not right. You are not true. You are not Lord. I am. I'm exchanging your truth for my truth, but my truth is a lie because it places me at the center. And it says that everything that I need in life can be found in my striving. And so we become enslaved. We remove God from his place and we become factories of idols. We become people who worship all kinds of other things as gods. And as such, we become enslaved to them. Right? And, and, and so often when we think about sin, we think about bad things. And, and when we think about idolatry, we think about totems or, or wickedness. We think about drunkenness or sexual sin. But what we don't realize is that sin is simply trading God's truth for another truth. It's taking God off of his throne and placing something else there. And that thing can be good. See, because as you look through Scripture, time and time again, idols are not always bad things. They're good things that we make ultimate or God things. And that's what becomes this, this bad thing. And, and that's why it enslaves. So let me, let me give you a couple of examples of how it enslaves. So we'll take something like family. Family is a very good thing, right? We ought to love our families. Fathers, you ought to love your wives. Or husbands, love your wives. Fathers, love your children. Don't uh, provoke them to anger. Mothers, like you don't need someone to tell you. Love your child. Nurture your child. But this, this amazing thing can happen when you take this good thing that is family or children, right? And you make it an ultimate thing. All of a sudden, your interaction with your family is what justifies you. It's what, it's what takes your existence and shows that it's worthwhile, right? And so you wrap your whole life up in your family. So you say, I've got to raise godly children. And so you begin to set up structures and rules and laws for yourself, structures and rules and laws for your children. And if they will just follow this, they will be godly. And I will prove that I was a godly mother or father, 
right? And, and this seems like a good thing. And, and people actually will applaud you. And they'll say, look how well they're raising their kids because they can't see your heart. And they can't see that what's happened is you've taken a good thing and you've made it an ultimate thing. And nobody sees it until 15, 20 years down the road. And all of a sudden, these children that you poured your life into and that you gave everything to, right? They're like, I gave you everything, Right? And you're not doing what I want you to do. They don't walk with Jesus. They marry the wrong person. They decide the best place for me to go to school is anywhere that's not in driving distance from here. Right? And all of a sudden, I've I've seen it. You see it. Lives are, are just crushed. Why? Because your whole life was built around this notion that the thing that justifies me, that gives me value and worth, is my family. And so when the family fails to produce the end result that you thought it would, you realize that your idol was worthless. That you labored in vain. Right? Jobs. Jobs are a good thing. Advancement. Right? Success. Like, these aren't bad things, but what happens when you take advancing or your job or, or success and you take this good thing and you make it an ultimate thing, ultimately you become enslaved to it. You say, everything else has to pour into this or I'm getting rid of it. And so people aren't people, they're not beings to be in relationship with. All of a sudden, they're, they're, advantages or hurdles, okay? I've got to jump over this guy, but I've got to align myself with this guy, right, so that I can advance, right? I, I see it in D.C. a lot with the people that I'm working with. Like, I, it's, 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 I don't know if it's as much here in Fairfax, but in D.C., like, happy hour and brunch are religion, Right? And so you go to happy hour, right? And you're sitting with people. And all of a sudden, there comes this point where you realize, like, nobody is using this hour to be happy. (laughs) Right? Like, they are networking. They're deciding who is worth spending my time with, who is not. And the metric is always, how will this advance me? And so all of a sudden, you've taken a good thing, success, drive, motivation, skill. You've made it an ultimate thing. This is what defines me. I must be this. And so then it enslaves you and you start to use and abuse the world around you. And then what happens? You find yourself alone and and old or even worse, you get everything you want. Everything you want. And then you come to the end of your life. And I don't know if this is true or not, who said it or not. I've heard that there was a, uh, an entrepreneur mogul, a Scrooge of a man, who um, on his deathbed said, I spent my whole life climbing the ladder of success, only to find that it was leaning on the wrong building. I become enslaved by it. So there are any number of things you can throw into that equation and you see how it enslaves you. But but here's the thing is the gospel says this. You cannot justify yourselves. There is no thing that you will invest your life or your time or your energy into. There's no amount of works. Right. So we do this with morality. Right. We do. What I'm going to do, I'm going to prove my righteousness by being the most moral person. Right. Justin talked about that, dude. That's the older brother. 
He worked in the house, labored in the house with the father day after day, trying to prove his worth. But you know what he never did? He never rested in the fact that he was his father's son. And took advantage of the fact that even though his father was the master of the house, he could have asked him for a feast at any time. He was too busy trying to show with his moral superior superiority that his father owed him. So we do this with morality, but we get tied to these things and we say, I have to prove my worth. I have to prove that I exist. Why am I here? This is why I'm here. I have to do it. And, and what the gospel says is that all of those things enslave you. They leave you exhausted. Are any of you exhausted? Is it just tiring trying to prove yourself to people? Are you exhausted trying to love your family? Are you, are you exhausted trying to be a good Christian? Are you? And see, the gospel, I love this. Um, <clears throat> so, so the gospel is the good news that Jesus saves us from slavery to our own self-righteous attempts at self-salvation. Uh, there's, there's a dead theologian, uh, Dutch theologian named Herman Bovink. Most of the times I quote dead people, so I don't know why I had to say that. But Herman Bovink said this. Listen to what he says. The gospel is sheer good tidings, not demands, but promise. Right? And so all of a sudden you get to this realization that the gospel is this, that Jesus has lived perfectly and that he has died the death that I deserve. And as I believe into him, there's an exchange. All of my striving, all of my labor, my wearisomeness, right? Like all of my burdens. He takes that. He, he takes my yoke upon himself. And he gives me his because his yoke is easy. And his burden is light. And there's freedom. When you realize that Christ has satisfied God's demands... You're free. That's the gospel. It's promise that Christ has done. Right? The gospel is not due. It's, it's done. It's, it's finished. But see, we, we, we have trouble believing that. See, this is the gospel. This is why it's good. This is why it's good. You've been freed from those things that were by nature not God, but that still enslaved you. You were free. You can, you can be a slave to those things or you can be a son of God, daughter of God. You are free from the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world. That's the good news. That's the gospel. And so the second question is, all right, so what's the danger? How is it that we can hear such incredible news that there's nothing you have to do? In fact, there's nothing you can do to earn salvation. But God loved you so much that he sent Jesus for you. And that if you trust into, if you believe into Jesus then you are forever accepted by God, right? But the news gets even better than that. Even as Christians, if you have believed into Jesus, hear this, hear this. There's nothing that you can do or fail to do that will make God love you or accept you any more or any less than he does in Christ Jesus right now. <laughs> it's incredible news. 
That's not just good news. That, this, is why, this is why the gospel advanced the way it did. This is why people go and plant churches and go to places in the world where they're literally, literally persecuted and literally attacked and, and killed, martyred. Because this, this news is just, it's unbelievable. It means that if I'm a Christian, even in the times when I fail to be obedient especially in those times. God's grace is enough. And I am a dearly loved child of God. Right? You're driving on the road, somebody cuts you off, then slows down. You know, say a few choice words at them. Should you do that? No, no. It's a failure to remember who you are, yes. But you are no less accepted by God. You are no more distant from God in that moment than you were when you first believed. Like this is this is incredible news. And here's why we lose it. Because by nature we want to justify ourselves. We want it. Right? We we cannot believe that anything is completely free. We cannot believe that anything has no strings attached, right? You, you, you see that ad pop up or on the side or whatever, and it's like, do this, and you'll get a free trip to Disney, right? And so you have three kids, and you're like, a free trip to Disney will save me like $10 million. So you click the link. <laughs> And, and then it's like, fill out these six surveys, and you fill them out, and they're like, okay, now come to our headquarters in Salt Lake City, and, and we need to do like a physical or something. I don't know, something ridiculous <laughs> like that. And by the end of it, you spent like $30 million just trying to get this free thing, and you're just, I just don't click links anymore, right? Because there are always strings attached, right? There's this tremendous episode of The Office, um, <laughs> Where, uh, so if you don't know the office, this isn't going to make any sense to you at all. The point will still stick through. Um, so where uh, Roy is coming into the office to, to punch Jim in the face, right? Okay, and so there's Jim, Roy thinks that Jim stole his girlfriend, right? And so Roy's furious. He's coming in. He's about to punch Jim in the face, but Dwight, who's sort of the nerdy office comic relief, um, stands up and pepper sprays him with the largest can of pepper spray that you've ever seen in your life, right? (laughs) And they interview him, and he's like weeping. (laughs) They said no one would ever need pepper spray this bad. Look who's laughing now, right? And, And he's just, but anyway, Jim is trying to like pay uh, Dwight back. And Dwight won't take anything back. He doesn't want to do it. And so Jim is like frantic trying to figure out how to repay the debt. Why? Because Jim, like all of us, we, like we get it. We relate to Jim. Like we don't want to be indebted to anyone. We don't want those strings attached. We don't like to I owe you one. And so he's working so hard. He's trying to figure out, how do I pay this guy back? This is our nature. And so when somebody comes in to the church from within the walls and says, okay, you believe, but but here are ways that you can be a good Christian. Or, you know what, maybe it can't be that free, can it? 
And that's what these dudes in Galatians in Galatia are doing, these Judaizers, is they're saying, no, it's not just Christ alone. It's not Jesus plus nothing equals everything. It's Jesus plus circumcision. And Jesus plus what we see again is days, months, and years, and seasons, the observation of these, these ritualistic things that are in the law. No, it's Jesus plus this. And so I'm sure maybe you've heard it. Actually, I've listened to some of the sermons from the series, so I know you've heard that, that equation, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. But a lot of times we forget there's another equation that's just as important. Jesus plus anything equals nothing. And that's what the book of Galatians is saying. You're turning from this gospel to another gospel, but it's not a gospel at all. It's, it's not good news. Why? Because it puts you back into bondage. And see, it happens so quickly because we want to justify ourselves. We want to believe that grace is free, but that I can earn my proximity to God. And so he says, you are enslaved to those things that by nature are not God. And you want to go back to them, to these weak and worthless elementary principles of the world. So now let me stop here and say that this is not talking about like ungodly, immoral sin. And that's the danger. Because we'll read this and say, see, he's saying people who who are sliding back into sin. I've got it. But listen to what he cites. He cites, you observe days and months and seasons and years. You are going back to following the law in order to try to be more favored, more loved by God. You are losing the gospel. You were saved by grace. You are sustained by grace. If now you go back to the law, you lose it all. And this is what we do. Here's, here's a way that we do it, right? <clears throat> we'll say things like we need to, um, I need to be a good Christian. Right, so how, how am I going to, how do you become a good Christian? Well, you have to read your Bible a certain amount of time a day, certain chapters, three chapters, right? Three chapters a day, that way you can get through the Bible in a year. Um, three chapters. Uh, and you need to pray for at least a half hour. Right? Um, and you need to, I, I don't know, go feed the poor. And you need to be in small group. And you need to be at service every Sunday. And you need to be at prayer service every Wednesday. Right? And all of a sudden, we're getting to more rules than even like Muslims have to be a good Muslim. But what are we doing? We are earning back our justification. We're saying if we don't do these things, I will not be close to God. We say things like, you, you need to live out the gospel. It's a confusion of what the term gospel means. That's confounding the gospel with the law. The gospel is message. It's tidings. It's good tidings. The gospel is, it is finished. Ultimately, we don't live out the gospel. We believe it. Believe the gospel. And see, we're uncomfortable with that, right? I I know it. I feel that tension in my heart. I, I was a youth pastor. Believe me, I feel the tension. And some of you right now, you want me to say, but, but you can't, it, you can't do this. You can't do this. What we're talking about right now is God's saving grace. 
And it is fully dependent on God. On the work of Jesus Christ. Not you. See, if we say, okay, um, <clears throat> and I'm, I'm a Baptist. I think you guys are too. Yeah, Baptist. Right? So we, we do this with baptism a lot as well. Right? Ultimately, baptism is a sign of God's favor and kindness to us. And our entrance into his covenant community. More often than not, though, we frame it as our public proclamation of our intent to follow Jesus. Which it is, but that's not the primary thing. And so here's what it becomes. You have to be baptized to be obedient and to be a Christian. We wouldn't say it, but it always plays out like that. Right, And so what we do is we confound this notion of something that may be an implication of a fruit of the gospel working itself out with the thing that saves, with good news. We confound the, the, the do of the law with the done of the gospel, and we always lose both. When you confound, when you confuse the gospel and the law, you always lose both. So hear me out here. Because Paul, Paul gives us a clue to that. He says those things are weak and worthless. Why? Because they're law light. They're not the full law. Right? Get circumcised and observe some days and months. That's not the law. Right? The law... <clears throat> uh, the, the law says this. Look. When, when we confound the law and the gospel, we neuter both. The law gets dumbed down into practical, applicable, keepable tips for Christian living instead of God's unwavering demand for absolute perfection. Right? When you stare the law in the face, what you realize is you can't keep it. But when, you're, when, you, when you fall into sort of moralism, into legalism, it's never the full weight of the law. It's always a lighter version of the law that somehow we can keep. And that's no good for you at all. Right? Because th- there's only one way to, to please God, and that's absolute perfection. And that ship sailed. There's good news, right? And so we reduce the law to this keepable thing instead of God's unwavering demand for absolute perfection. And then the gospel gets hardened into a list of rules that we must follow and live out. And it makes us feel better, right? See, this is why it's so easy because I know that I'm doing the things that make me me good, but it only makes us feel better for a time. See, There's this great quote by Robert Cabin. It says, life is a web of trials and temptations, but only one of them can be ultimately fatal. The temptation to think that it is by further, better, and more aggressive living that we can have life. See, we become consumed with trying to earn our way. And if you're in here and you're a non-Christian, and you're wrestling with the gospel and with church, I think you have a sense of what I'm talking about too. Because for most people who are not Christians, and even a lot who are, Christianity is simply a list of rules, do's and don'ts, that make you holier than other people, make you maybe a little bit more arrogant towards other people, and it somehow gets you into heaven. 
That's not it. That's not it. There's danger in that. And Paul is saying, please, please, don't fall back into the law. Fall forward into grace. Fall forward into the gospel. It's so interesting. We literally have to surrender to grace. Stop striving. Jesus says it this way, and I alluded to it before. But he says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Right? The only qualification is that you be burdened. You be weary and heavy. Right? And then there's the exchange. Take my yoke upon me, or upon you. For my yoke is easy. My burden is light. It's an exchange. That's it. Are you weary? Are you heavy laden? Is being a Christian burdening you? Is being a good church member crushing you? Do you feel the weight of shoulds all over you? Believe the gospel. It is finished. It is finished. God is pleased with you. You are... You are dearly loved children. Right? Do you hear this? In Jesus, God, the creator of all things, sovereign over all things, the one who puts leaders into power and takes them out, the one who controls everything, who brings prosperity and calamity, that God looks at you as a dearly loved child. Calls you son. And daughter. It's free of charge. There's no condemnation now for those who are in Christ Jesus. None. Hear that. Let that sit over you. Because of Christ, God is no longer angry with you. You do not have to struggle to please God. You are free. You are free. And it's for freedom that you've been set free, right? And I think it's tremendous. Um, <clears throat> this this next one, this next question. So how do we how do we know we have it? That I don't even know if that's the right way to ask the question. It might be like, what are the effects of it, right? Because something happens when you truly get this, right? Something happens when you truly realize that I am free from my attempts and my striving to please God, that I don't have to do that. Like God is not, he's, he's not, he is not waiting to love me until I am clean, until I clean myself. Rather, I am free and loved, right? Something happens. Literally, it's what Jesus says. You receive his, his yoke and his burden, and it's, it's light and easy. A weight is lifted. Listen to what Paul says. What then, then has become of your blessedness, your profound covenant happiness? For I testify to you that, if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. 
Even before that, you did not scorn or despise me. You received me as an angel of God, as Jesus Christ. Paul came and he preached absolute freedom. He preached that you do not and cannot justify yourself, but God has justified you in Christ Jesus. He preached the gospel. And you know what they did? They received him with gladness, with overwhelming joy. It says they would have gouged. How can this be true? I think uh, there's this video. uh, I've referenced a lot of vague stuff today. But there's this video of like this missionary in, in, in this tribe and he's talking to them about the gospel and they're all, this entire tribe is just staring in at him, listening to the words that he say and then their tribal leader, their, their, their chief or whatever, he asks them questions, translated on the bottom. He's saying, so essentially the question, so is, is this really true? My people want to know what you're, you're saying, this, this gospel that we are fully forgiven in Jesus. Is this really true? And the missionary says, yes, it's true. And he turns to the people and he says, it's true. And there is this eruption of just dancing and shouting and singing and joy. And you get the, uh, the, the, you get the feeling that this is exactly what Paul is describing. These people have realized, they, they're, they're just filled and marked by blessedness. Because they've heard and believed the gospel. When you think about the gospel, when you think about Christ, when you think about the faith, is the first thing that runs through your mind all the things that I'm not doing. Right? Because (laughs) no joy comes from that. When you think about being a follower of Jesus, is the first thing that happens is you, you get embarrassed of all the ways that you are just not. Is the first thing that happens, you feel this burden, this weight on you. Or is it this undescribable blessedness that you, right where you are, right now, in all of your filth and sin and whatever you're struggling with, your, your depression, your confusion, your, your doubt... Your skepticism right now, you in Jesus are loved by God. Right? If you get that, there's joy and there's freedom. There's freedom. Now imagine for a second a church marked by that freedom. Right. All of a sudden now, we don't have to figure out how I'm going to love people. We're free to love. Because our loving other people and our failure to love other people does not change our standing with God. Right. We're not overwhelmed and burdened by how am I going to get to community group or home group or whatever, missional living groups or whatever. We're not burdened with what if I miss this Sunday, right? We're, we're free. We're free to be in community. Because we know that whether I'm there or not, my standing with God is not changed because in Christ Jesus it is finished. We're not burdened by how am I going to put all these safeguards on my computer and have an accountability group with four other guys 
and, and this, that, or the other. We're actually free from that desire and that sin because we know that we're children of God and that even when I fail, even in that very moment, Jesus Christ is still resurrected. It is still finished. And God still looks at you and says, my dear, dear child. See, now you move from burden to freedom. And freedom bears its fruit. And I don't want to steal Galatians 5 from anyone. So we won't talk about that. But what we will say is this. That freedom comes only from the gospel. So the question for you right now is not, all right, how am I going to apply this? Right now the question I want to give to you is, do, do I believe this? Do you believe it? Do you really believe it? Christian, do you believe that you are as loved as you could possibly be by God in Christ Jesus right now, that there's nothing you can do or fail to do that will change your standing with God. Non-Christian, do you believe that this is true and free to you? Do you believe it? There's no ritual cleansing that you have to go through that there's no three or four things that I better get right before I, before I turn to Jesus, that all of the demands that the law places on you in Scripture and all the demands that your own idolatry, that your own self-justification places on you, that you are freed of those in Christ Jesus. Do you? Because if you do, all of you, look to Jesus. Seek and savor Jesus. Rejoice in Jesus. Let's pray. God, I'm so thankful that now I can boast in my weakness and in my failure, not because they're great or awesome, but because they show just how great your victory is. When I'm weak, you're strong. When I fail, you've won. When I sin, it is finished. When I obey and follow you, it is finished. Pray that the gospel would sink into our hearts and that every day we would contend to believe it. That we would cease from our striving, from our attempts at self-justification and self-righteousness and rest in Jesus. Would you bring rest to us? It's in the name of Christ that I pray. Amen.